0: Well, it's great to see everyone here this morning. If uh, you're somebody who came and said, well, I didn't get a shower this week, it's okay. We're socially distanced, so nobody will mind sitting around you. Uh, it was quite an adventure for our family as well. We felt like we were on a camp out. We had sleeping bags on the beds. We were cooking outside on the grill or boiling water on a jet boil and uh, just kind of enjoying the experience of being without power, as I know some of you were doing. Uh, I want to say this. I know that some, most have gotten power and water back, but if by chance you are still lacking those things, please let us know. We'd love to come alongside and help you with some alternatives. And also, I know many are without food because the grocery stores have been uh, closed or without food on the shelf. If you are in need of food... Uh, Please do not leave here today without stopping one of our staff and letting them know we have a food pantry here And we want to give you some groceries to take home And also I know that some have been without work all week and you're dependent on those wages And again, if you have a financial need in your family, please talk with our staff. We have an agape ministry here Uh, agape is a greek word for love and it is a benevolence ministry funded by the gifts of those at wayside following the book of acts it says those who have are sharing with those who are in need so if you have any of those needs uh, we want you to know that we are here to come alongside you and help we know there may be some additional needs with the busted pipes with higher electric or water bills things to come Uh, please do not hesitate to let our staff know your needs we want to uh, come alongside and share with you in those times so Uh, know that we are here to help in those ways as well. Well, we were scheduled to pick up today in our series in 1 Peter, and if you look at where we were, the passage today is dealing with submission to governments. And with the mess that happened with the Texas power grid and all the gridlock in Washington, I didn't think this was the week to talk about submitting to the government. So (laughs) we're going to come back and talk about that next week. Uh, What I think many are still thinking about is what it was like this last week to go without water, to go without power. And when I finally got internet and power back, you know, we would go 13, 14 hours without at our house. I saw some of the social media posts and I could tell that it was robbing the joy and contentment from some people. So what I want us to do today is look at Philippians chapter 4 because in Philippians chapter 4, what Paul tells us is how we can have contentment no matter what the circumstances are that we face. So to see what his secret is, I invite you to look with me now as we read in Philippians four ten through 13. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, as Paul writes this, you'll notice he's rejoicing. And if you read through the entirety of the book of Philippians, you'll see he's rejoicing throughout the book. And since Paul just said he was thankful for the renewed support for him in verse 10, it would be easy to think that what Paul is doing here is being grateful and excited that his source of joy is coming from the financial support for him in his ministry. But I want you to notice that in verse 11, he says his joy is not tied to what he has. He says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You see, the the picture of Paul here is not that he's sitting under some palm tree on a beach, fanning himself with his bank statement, saying whether it's the Bahamas or Bermuda, whether I'm suffering a jactar village or club bed, no matter what resort I'm in, I've learned to be content. I want you to remember as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, he's in a Roman jail. He's not in Jamaica, he's in jail, chained to a, a Roman guard facing a death sentence for his faith. And as Paul is there, he says, I'm content. When you hear this word contentment, what what picture comes to your mind? Do you think of a cat curled up in a sunspot, nice and toasty? Is your picture maybe of a little boy or a little girl on a hot summer day eating ice cream where it's melting on them faster than it's melting in their mouth? Or after the week we just had, is your picture of contentment having water in the heat to make a cup of coffee or hot chocolate? You know, there's a saying that ignorance is bliss. So maybe your picture of contentment is that of a cow standing in a lush green pasture, chewing its cud, oblivious to everything around it. Do you think that contentment is something that can only be experienced by those who are too young or too dumb to know any better? Now some of us might think, well, contentment is for those who are better off, like the ultra-rich, who have so much money and resources that no matter what happens, they have enough wealth to cover any contingency. If you're thinking that, uh, maybe you've heard of a man by the name of John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire on record. He was a man who had uh, unlimited resources in his day. He was one of the richest men of his day. Well, he was the richest of his day and one of the richest who's ever lived. And one day he was sitting in his club across the table from another multimillionaire, and they were talking about uh, their empires. And, and Rockefeller said, you know, I'm just, I'm just not content with everything I have. And his friend, this other tycoon, says, John, what do you need? You have more money than anybody has ever had before. What what, what do you need? And what, what would make you happy and content? And Rockefeller said, you know, if I had just $100 more than I have now, I would be content. So this other tycoon reaches in his pocket, pulls out his wallet, and he pulls out a $100 bill, and then he slides it across the table to Rockefeller. And, and Rockefeller says, what's this for? And he says, John, it's worth it to me to give you $100 to see what a truly contented man looks like. Rockefeller picks up the $100. He examines it, flips it over, finally folds it up, sticks it in his pocket. And he says, if I had just another $100, I'd be content. <laughs> Friends, when is enough enough? When is enough really enough? Maybe you've heard of another famous rich man by the name of King Solomon. King Solomon was the richest man who has ever lived and the wisest who has ever lived. And God had him record uh, these words for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, King Solomon writes these words. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too is futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good in there it is for the sons of men to do under heaven, the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees, I bought male and female slaves and I had homeborn slaves, also I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem, also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers, and for the pleasure of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labors, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Not exactly the words you would expect to hear from a man who had it all, is it? You know, what God's word tells us is we can derive some happiness from the passing pleasures of the world, but ultimately they cannot bring us fulfillment and they will pass away. King Solomon isn't the only one who has found this to be true. Look at the life of Christina Onassis. The Onassis family had a worldwide shipping empire. They were also a family with billions of dollars. And her biography is titled, All the Pain that Money Can Buy. All the Pain that Money Can Buy. In it, she says, happiness is not based on money or power. The proof of that is my family. Friends, if you need further proof of that, just look at all the rich and famous people you see in the news, all the failed marriages, the suicide attempts, the disasters, uh, destructive behavior that's going on. You know, it's not just the rich and famous, just think of our own lives. As you think and look at your own life, what are some of the things that you've chased after that you thought would bring you happiness, but then when you got them, you found that they really didn't bring fulfillment and happiness to you? Think about that toy or that tool you wanted. And when you finally got it, you immediately thought, well, now I need the accessory to go with it. The latest computer or car that you got and how excited you were until the newer model came out. How many of us, when we were younger, wanted to be older? And then when we were older, we wanted to be younger. There's a man who wrote about that in a poem called Present Tense. His name is Jason Lehman. He says, it was spring... But it was summer that I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter that I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring that I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood that I wanted, the freedom and the respect I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 that I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Does that describe anyone here? Are we those who are always looking to the next thing, thinking that is what's going to bring fulfillment and contentment? How many times have you achieved a goal in your life only to find out that, well, now there's a new hill to climb, that what you accomplished really didn't bring you success or the happiness you thought it would? Think about the people you know who are always trying to claw their way up the ladder fighting and, and crawling over people to get to the top of the heap. And one day when they get to the top of the ladder, they're going to find it was leaning against the wrong wall. You know, if you're looking for real meaning and joy, friends, it's not found in what the world offered. King Solomon, who was the wisest and richest man, found that out. And he wrote these words for us in Ecclesiastes 2.25 that tells us that all we really need is God because he says, For who can have enjoyment? Without God. For who can have enjoyment without God? Paul is telling us the same thing. As he says in Philippians 4.11. I've learned to be content. In whatever circumstances I'm in. You see Paul found contentment. Not in the outside circumstances of life. But he found it in his relationship. With the Lord of life Jesus Christ. If you look at the word contentment. The root of the word is content. Contentment is content. The Greek word that's used here means contained or self-sufficient. The pagan philosophers of Paul's day used it to refer to human self-reliance and fortitude. But in the biblical writings, it's used to refer to a divinely bestowed sufficiency. You see, what Paul tells us is contentment comes from relying on God, not on ourselves. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I can do all things through Paul. He says, I can do all things through Christ. Paul's power, his peace came from God. And as we talk about the content of our life, this, I, w- I want you to remember what happens when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. You invite the Lord, Jesus Christ, to come into your heart to live with you, is what, the way we describe it. And the way the Bible describes it, is it tells us when we become a believer, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says we are indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Lord and the Spirit of God dwells within you? And as you think of the content of your life now being God, the Holy Spirit, part of the, tr- the Trinity living within you and having Christ in your heart. 1 John 4.4 uh, 4 tells us that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The world tells us I can do all things through my beauty. I can do all things through my education. I can do all things through my portfolio, the power that I have, the position I have. Yet when we pursue those things, what we find is they ultimately fail us. They leave us empty. They leave us wanting more. The answer to contentment is not the externals or circumstances of life. Rather, it comes from having Christ in us. And what God tells us is stop trying to fill the void in your life with the stuff of the world. They're passing things. They're fading away. They will not bring contentment. When we rely on ourselves or the stuff we have, we will live on a roller coaster where we're happy when things are good and when things are not the way we want then we're sad. The word happy comes from the same root word as happening. Happening because the circumstances that happen to us are what drive our happiness. It's why people will say, well, I had a good meal, so I'm happy. People will get a new toy and they'll say, I'm happy. If I paid off my house, we'll say, I'm really happy until the money that you you know, are no longer sending to the bank now goes to college or car repairs or something else. I want you to think about the roller coaster of last week when you would see the lights flicker on. We had stretches of, a, of about 14 hours at a time with no power and suddenly the, the lights would flicker on and we would all mobilize, run over, turn on the oven to try to add some heat, hit the one space heater we had, you know, trying to recharge everything all at once. And then three minutes later, <laughs> and the joy was gone, right? Oh, the, that was a fake. We didn't get real power. I mean, this is what happens when we go through life letting our circumstances control our joy. And what we find then is they also steal our joy when things don't go the way that we want. So rather than going through life like a thermometer, where we register the temperature around us, we need to be a thermostat where we control the temperature around us. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Roger, my thermostat wasn't working because I didn't have any power. I'm happy to be a thermostat. Well, friends, you're forgetting where your power comes from. It's not the electric grid, it's through Christ. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who lives in me. We can't always control what happens around us, but we can control our response to it. Friends, I want to remind you in the world, suffering is inevitable, but misery is an option. Suffering is inevitable, but misery is an option. Paul could have been a thermometer where he said, life is lousy, I'm in a prison, I'm chained to a guard, I'm facing death. Or as you look at the rest of Paul's life, I don't know if you've ever read the, the resume of Paul's life. Go to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 through 28. He talks about being shipwrecked, bitten by poisonous serpents. He talks about being beaten over and over in prison numerous times. I mean, Paul was a person who, who says... Not I'm controlled by my circumstances, but because he's Christ-controlled, he says, I can rejoice no matter what the circumstances are that I face. And when we learn to do that in our own lives, we will go from being victims of our circumstance to victors over our circumstances. Paul understood that although his circumstances changed, his position in Christ never did. And because of that perspective, Paul could have peace Paul could say, I am content no matter what the external circumstances are. He tells us in verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. As Paul tells us here a second time he's learned how to be content, he uses a different Greek word. This one means to learn by experience. We talk about the school of hard knocks, and this is what Paul is is describing here. The word means to be initiated into the secret or hidden things. Now, we live in a day and age where we have things like Eastern mysticism, the New Age movement, that tell you that they'll, they'll teach you the secret to true inner peace, and they tell us to visualize world peace. Well, what do you do when you visualize world peace, and all you really see on the news is is the war at the the world at war? Well, Paul gives us the answer to, to that a few verses earlier when he says this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, when you're anxious, turn to God and turn all of your needs over to God. And he says, as you do, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we have Christ in control of our life, even when the circumstances are not going the way we want, as they're spinning out of control, we can still have peace. And friends, that is true even in the most trying of circumstances. Last week was difficult, but that is nothing compared to some of the real tragedies that happen in the world. Some of you will remember back in 2004 when there was a horrible terrorist attack in Beslan, Russia. There were terrorists who went in and took over a, an elementary school, and before it was over, there were 3 hundred and thirty four children and teachers and civilians that had been killed, and hundreds additional people wounded in that attack. And a good friend of mine from seminary, Peter Mitskovich, who was not only a pastor over in Russia, but was the vice president of the Russian Baptist, was called by the Russian government to come into Beslan and help with the tragedy, to conduct hundreds of funerals, to come alongside families and other things that were happening. And shortly after it was over, uh, Peter wrote me a letter, and this is some of what he shared with me. He said, yesterday I visited with two families of Christians who lost their children. Sergei and Bella Tatyov have one daughter, Anna, in a coffin, and they are missing one more child. Their third child, their son Asmus, is, is in the hospital in critical condition. This man's brother and his wife, uh, also the Tatyovs, have one daughter, Luba, in a coffin, and their other three children are missing in the rubble. When the mothers prayed, I was surprised to hear them say to the Lord, you are teaching us to be thankful for everything. Peter says, how is it possible to say this when you had seven children and right now in your hands only one? He answers, Christians have a unique perspective on death, one that no one else in the world can have due to the resurrection of our founder, Jesus Christ, who said, because I live, you shall also live. Peter went on to quote the Puritan Thomas Watson who said, what a wicked man fears, a godly man hopes for. The Christian's best things are to come. The world is but a great inn where we are to stay a night or two and then be gone. Therefore, what madness it is to set our heart upon our end as to forget that our home is in heaven. Friends, those of us who are Christians know That this world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are passing through. So when we face tough or terrifying things in this world, we need to be like the little boy who was uh, walking down a dark street one night. He was about to turn and go through a cemetery, and and a man walking down the street also saw this, and he stopped him, and he said, son, son, aren't aren't you afraid to walk through that graveyard at night? The little boy looks at him and says, no, sir, my home's just on the other side. As believers in Christ, our home is just on the other side of this world. We don't stay here. No one builds her house on a bridge. This world just takes us from here to eternity. So don't do as many do and put your focus on the things of the world when the things here are just temporary and passing. As we go through this world, First Timothy 6, 6-8 reminds us of the... Of, of where our focus needs to be. It says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. I want you to think about that sentence just for a moment. Think back to the last week when you didn't have water maybe, when you didn't have power to cook food if you had food. How contentment suddenly was based upon those basics of life. So don't forget what that was like. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Timothy goes on to say, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Friends, we came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave this world with nothing. Remember John D. Rockefeller, the billionaire? When he died, a newspaper reporter went to his accountant and said, can you tell me how much money John D. Rockefeller left behind when he died? And the accountant said, I can tell you to the very penny. He pulled out his his pen ready for the big scoop, and the accountant said, all of it. He left it all behind. Friends, when we leave this world, we leave everything behind. The titles to any property you might own, any title you might have had, doctor, CEO, uh, salesman of the year, whatever titles or, or accolades you've gathered, they all pass away. The only title that remains is Christian. When we die, the only thing that will matter is, did we know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior or not? That is the only question that needs to be answered. Jesus offers us not only eternal life, but help as we go through this life. In John 10.10, Jesus Christ said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's not that God says, well, this hundred or so years you might have on earth is just misery and a blip and just don't worry about it. He says, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to enjoy all the labor. Solomon said, my reward in life is, is what God has given to me. Read Ecclesiastes 4.4. I have it engraved inside my wedding ring because it says this is your reward in life to spend the rest of the fleeting days that you have with the woman whom you love. God says, I have gifts and good things for you in this world. But he says, this world is not your home. You're just passing through. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary who was martyred with several other missionaries, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep his life, her life, to gain what you cannot lose, believer in Christ eternal life in heaven? Are you foolishly chasing the things in this world that you cannot keep and that don't even really bring you lasting contentment? If you want to see what the passing worth of things are, stop at the next garage sale you see and walk around and look at the stuff. Or if you don't go to garage sales, go to eBay. Look, look at stuff that people spend hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars for, and now they've got a $1.25 on it, and, and they'll, they'll bargain down to a dime or pennies on it, just hoping you'll take it away. That's the passing value of the stuff of the world. In 1 Timothy 6.6, we're told not to pursue prosperity, but instead godliness. Contentment comes not from seeking things, but seeking God. Jesus told us in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I want to remind you, friends, that money will buy you a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy you books, but not intelligence. Money can buy you food, but not an appetite. It can give you a house, but not a home. Money can buy medicine, but not health. It can give you amusement, but not happiness. Money can buy you a ticket to anywhere in the world except to heaven. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is what life is about, knowing God and making him known. As Christians, we don't have to look at our checkbooks to see how wealthy we are. We only have to look at the cross. Because the cross tells us what God thought you were worth. He said, you were worth so much, I'm willing to give my only begotten son to die in your place to be the payment for your sins and mine. And he says, this is a gift of grace I offer to you. And if you will receive that great gift of grace, you will be adopted into my family. You will be made a son or a daughter As we look at the cross, it reminds us that God pursued us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our worst, sinners far from him in rebellion, Jesus came and he died for us. And he offers you that great gift of grace. If you've never accepted God's gift of grace to you, I invite you to do so today. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It is a gift of grace accepted by faith. Now, for those of us who have already accepted God's gift of grace, maybe you've lost your focus. You've taken your eyes off him. And today what God is reminding you of is the need to turn back to him to focus on what is really important in this world. As you look at your life today, ask if you're living in such a way that you're walking closely with Christ. Ask as well, are you living in a way that your life reflects the light of the Lord in the darkness of the world around us? People need to see joy. You know, this past week when so many were going without, I know many were stepping up and showing the love of God to others. And as this week continues, there are going to be people who are dealing with burst pipes. Maybe you have a neighbor that you don't even really know their name, go over and meet them and say, hey, I see water pouring out of your garage or your house, or I see you're hauling drywall out to the curb. Can I give you a hand? Is there something I can help you with? You don't have to be a plumber. Uh, Maybe you can't fix the pipes, but you you can help haul away debris. Maybe it's that they're still dealing with a loss of power or don't have food. As you're cooking a meal, offer, offer them a seat at the table. You know, one of the things I was doing was barbecuing out on the back uh, porch because we were without power. And I knew there was a widow who lived two doors up from me. And, that, you know, whatever I was cooking, I would just carry it up the hill to Betty and just say, hey, I want you to have a hot meal. There are many ways you can serve people where you sh- put feet to your faith. And, and let them see the light of the Lord. There were two big apartment fires here in our city. Um, if you're thinking about dropping off clothes or household items, please don't do that. Uh, I know you want to help that way, but all that does is add to the chaos. Uh, they're actually begging for people to come and haul away stuff that others have already dropped off. The best thing to do is give gift cards, uh, donate through the Salvation Army, through the Red Cross that are giving vouchers to families, uh, again, if you know of a family that is in need, if, if anybody in our church or those worshiping online were personally affected, please contact us here at Wayside. We would love to come alongside you and help with specific needs that you might have. There are practical ways we can put feet to our faith and demonstrate God's love. And as we do so, Philippians 4, eight says that it will be a fragrant aroma to God. As we demonstrate his love that we've received, it's a way to, to shine a light into the darkness in the world around us. There was a, a woman named Ella Wheeler Cox, and she wrote a poem that said, One ship drives east and another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. 'Tis the set of the sails and not the gales, which tells us the way to go. Paul had set his sails for joy. Paul knew that God was at the rudder. God was in control. And so no matter what the circumstances were around him, he was able to say, I have contentment, I have joy. And friends, when the winds of life blow, when the storm winds howl in your life, if you're the captain of your destiny, if you're the one who has the wheel of the ship, you're going to end up on the rocks. Instead, what Paul reminds us of today is to turn the ship over to God, give our life to God, and he will give us both uh, the power we need and the peace and purpose as we go through this life. So as we end our time today, I want you to think about who's in control of your life. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart, asking him to be your Lord and Savior, do so today. Give God control of your life. Admit to him you're a sinner, a person who has failed uh, in your life to live a perfect life. Nobody has. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we're all sinners, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he invites you to accept his gift of grace, to begin walking with him, to have that gift of eternal life, and not just looking ahead to eternity, but purpose and peace in your life today. For the rest of us who know him, may we walk with him, and may we shine his light in the darkness around us. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word, your word that reminds us of the safe harbor that we have in the storm with you. We thank you, God, that in the midst of a trying week like we've had last week, where many have been without things that we take for granted, like water and power and food when we go to the store, Father, even for what's happened before that with COVID, where uh, even breath in our bodies has become a struggle and a fight for some as we deal with this disease. It's reminders to us, God, that we need you. We need you every day. We thank you for all that you give to us, God, all the blessings of, of daily life that maybe we've taken for granted, and we're sorry for that. And we pray that having been reminded this week of of the many ways that you sustain us, And the truth of your word that says, if we have food and shelter with these things, we should be content. May we refocus this week. And God, we thank you for the the greatest gift you've ever given to us, that of your son, Jesus Christ, who purchased and paid the penalty of death for our sins. And he set us free and redeemed us and gave us the gift of eternal life. As recipients of that grace, may we be messengers of hope. May we go into the world and share the good news with others. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, thank you for being here to worship with us. As I said before, if you have a need for food, please come and see one of our staff. We don't want you to leave here today without that. Uh, As you leave, the ushers will be dismissing you by rows. Please remember to put your mask on uh, as you exit. It was great to see and worship with you. Go outside and enjoy the almost 70 degrees of uh, weather that we have. God bless you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. All right, buddy. Good to see you.